Awesome. Well, today we are actually finishing a series we've been in now for the past three months that we've been calling a 90-day trek through the Bible. And so some of you guys, you've been here uh, since the very beginning of the series, and you've been journeying through um, with us. And man, what a great series. And now we're getting ready to close it down. Very, very excited um, about finishing this series. As we talked about just a moment ago, Sarah Beth said, next week we're going to be beginning a brand new series that we're calling The Sex Talk. And again, we're going to be kind of talking about how do we navigate um, in the midst of a sexually charged culture. And so we're going to get a chance to have that conversation next week. Really encourage you to come out, invite a friend if that's not too awkward, and, uh, and come on out. We'll have a good time and, and, uh, and do that. But today, as we're finishing this series, we're just so excited about this. Uh, we're basically closing out the conversation that we started, which has been a 90-day trek through the Bible. And so if you are a guest with us this morning, or you're just kind of jumping in, let me just recap for you what we've been doing. Basically, we've been spending this whole time overviewing the entire Bible, And our hope has been to kind of demystify the Bible a little bit and to help us kind of get a a bird's eye view and a grasp on how are we to sort of understand the Bible. The Bible's met with a lot of confusion, a lot of controversy, in some instances, even some skepticism um, in our culture. And so we said it would do us well just to take 90 days and kind of overview the whole thing. And so what we found in the series is this, is we said that if you want to understand what the Bible is in a nutshell, um, that the Bible is really this, it's God's rescue plan. Uh, That's what the Bible is, okay? It is God's rescue plan. From cover to cover, the entire Bible is not only an example of God's desire to save humanity, but it's also an explanation of how God goes about accomplishing that salvation. And so we said the Bible is a very thorough explanation of God's rescue plan. Because of that, we said the Bible teaches us really a few things. It teaches us what we're saved from, what God has rescued us from. It teaches us what we're saved by, uh, what, God, what means God has rescued us by, and it teaches us what we're saved to. And so in this series, once again, if you're just joining us, we've been talking under those different headings. And so we took the first month together, kind of the first third of the series. We talked all about what the Bible teaches us we're saved from. And we really kind of unpacked that and looked at several different themes in the Bible and what the Bible tells us we're saved from. And then the second part of the series, kind of the second month, we talked all about what the Bible tells us we're saved by. And we kind of unpack that idea together. And then uh, as we've been finishing this series this past month, we've been talking all about what the Bible teaches us that we're saved to. And so I just encourage, by the way, that if you've missed those conversations and today, if, if you hear anything that strikes you as interesting or fascinating, really encourage you to go onto our website or check out our app that we have. You can find information on your program and you can either listen to or watch any of those previous conversations for free. And we, we, uh, we hope you maybe would do that on the ride uh, to work or maybe as you're working out or something like that and you can do that. But today, uh, just to keep with this conversation and kind of close it down, um, this week I want to talk about one final topic, kind of the final destination of God's rescue plan. And that's this, that the Bible teaches us that we are saved to heaven. And we are saved to heaven. And uh, what an awesome, awesome final destination and reality that God has ultimately saved us to. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about what the Bible teaches regarding this matter. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me? I want to invite you to grab those and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. So Revelation chapter 21, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, not a problem. We have some for you. And you can find that on page 872 in those Bibles that are in the chairs or you can um, use the app that we had mentioned earlier, the Grace Church app. You can access the Bible that way if you'd like to, Revelation chapter 21. So when we started this series, some of you might remember, we started back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Now we're finishing this series. We're finishing in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And once again, we're going to see in this passage the final destination 
of what God hopes um, for everyone in this rescue plan that he's initiated. Now, as you're flipping there and getting there, um, let me just say a couple things as a way of introduction. I know that when I say the word heaven, the moment I say that, there's probably a lot of different thoughts that are represented in this room when we talk about this. So for some of you, when I say heaven, there's probably some images that come to your mind, maybe images that you've seen in movies, depictions of heaven on TV shows, maybe um, artist renditions that you've seen of heaven. So, so there's probably images that come to your mind uh, when we talk about this. For some of us, if we're really honest, when we hear the word heaven, we kind of roll our eyes. Um, because for some of us, we're kind of skeptical about the whole thing. And maybe we're like, you know, I, I believe, I kind of believe the whole God thing. And I'm just kind of getting warmed up to that idea. And I'm not really sure I can buy all this, like, you know, heaven and hell and all this kind of stuff. And it doesn't that seem like it's a little bit regressive and primitive and those type of things. And for some of us, maybe we kind of take that stance and we kind of have that opinion. Now, here's what I know. All right. What I know is that regardless if you are a person who accepts this belief in heaven or whether you're a person that does not, um, one thing that I have found proven to be true in my experience is that this is one of those topics that biblically speaking, um, there are so many misconceptions around heaven. Lots and lots of misconceptions. And honestly... There's a lot of things in our culture that don't help with that. And so the past decade, we've seen books come out, lots and lots of books about people who have died and gone to heaven and have come back and reported that, or a kid who, you know, had a surgery and out-of-body experience and went and saw Jesus and came back and talked about that. And let me just tell you that a lot of that stuff that's coming out that makes the New York Times bestseller is, is not helpful. And the reason that it's oftentimes not helpful is because it's not biblical. Right? And when you, when you dig into it and you read it, you come to realize this is actually a very big money-making opportunity. And so unfortunately, some people have leveraged that for this use. And so because of that, um, there are a lot of misconceptions as it relates to heaven. In fact, I would even say that for some of us, if I asked you, do you believe in a heaven? Uh, probably a good amount of us in this room would say, yeah, I believe in heaven. But if someone asked you, can you explain it to me? What's it like? My guess is for some of us, we might hymn and haul. We might not have an answer for that. And if we did have an answer, we might not have a biblical answer, right? We might not know where to take people and say, well, let me show you what the Bible teaches about heaven. And so as a result of that, um, there are a lot of misconceptions. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this awesome passage that we have in Revelation. And then for the rest of our time, I want to talk about three, three common misconceptions um, that we oftentimes have about heaven and kind of unravel those a little bit. Now, there are much, much more than three, but for our time's sake, that's all the time we have to get into is three misconceptions. So let's read this passage together, and then afterwards, we're going to go back around and talk about how this passage addresses and deals with three misconceptions about heaven. Okay, so Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 6, okay? So here we go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. 
To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And here we have just a snippet, man. This whole chapter is awesome, but just a snippet of this incredible picture of the final destination that God intends as his rescue plan, kind of the final chapter in God's rescue plan. It's a beautiful description that we have here, and there's just amazing stuff. And when you dig into it, what you come to realize is, is that this really gives us a good understanding of heaven. When you look at this passage, you look at it compared to other passages of the Bible, when you really dig into this, you see that it really confronts many misconceptions that we have about heaven. And so here's the first misconception that I just want to kind of talk about um, that I think this passage addresses, and that's this. Misconception number one about heaven is that um, heaven is non-physical. Okay, so this is a misconception, that heaven is non-physical. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. For some reason, and I don't really know where this came from, my guess is maybe from Eastern mysticism or something like that. But for some reason, for many of us, when we think about heaven, we oftentimes think of a non-physical, mysterious, metaphysical um, you know, existence. It's more like a state of mind. And, and those who go to heaven, you know, we just kind of float around like spirit bodies. And there's a lot of fog for some reason. And there's a lot of clouds and everything's white, right? And that's kind of the, the imagery that often comes to our minds, this metaphysical kind of thing that is sort of anti-matter, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. Well, when you actually dig in the Bible and you look at what the Bible teaches about heaven, you come to realize that, no, that's not accurate. Heaven is a very physical existence. Uh, that in the same way that we today on this earth, that we have our senses, we can touch, we can smell, we can taste, uh, we can interact with each other in those ways. The Bible explains to us that that's, this, that's kind of the same reality. In fact, it's even better reality in this eternal state of existence that God has set for us in heaven. You're like, where do you see this? Well, let me just show you a few verses. I'll show you Revelation chapter 21. One. If you look at verse 1 again, just glance down at it. Um, here's what John says. He says, I saw a new heaven and I saw a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And so what the Bible tells us is that the current heaven and the current earth are going to eventually be replaced with a new heaven and with a new earth. And by the way, this teaching that John gives us here in Revelation is absolutely harmonious with everything else that the Bible teaches about what's going to happen in the end, the final chapter of God's rescue plan. Let me show you a couple other verses that kind of harmonize with this. Here, here's another one. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, which means it's going to come suddenly. No one knows when that's going to happen. It says the heavens are going to disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it is going to be laid bare. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 65 says something similar. It says, see, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Um, and, and so what we see in the Bible, and not just in these three passages, but other passages, Bible harmoniously teaches us that in the end, something is going to happen. Um, the book of 2 Peter says that the, the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. Um, in Revelation, it says that heaven and earth, as we know it, are going to pass away. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 says that the earth and the heavens are going to be shaken. That's the image that the Bible gives us. Now, what does that mean? I don't really know, but I know that that means that the previous heavens and earth, that this current heaven and earth, as we understand it, are, are going to be stripped down, laid bare, shaken down in some way. And, uh, and let me just kind of 
clarify here, when the Bible talks about the heavens and the earth, by the way, when it talks about the heavens, what it's usually referring to is the universe, right? The cosmos. It's talking about the galaxies and it's talking about the, 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 the solar systems and the planets and those type of things. And so you think about Genesis chapter one, the Bible says in the beginning, God created what? He created the heavens and the earth. That is, he created the universe and he created the earth that we dwell in. So the Bible says that in the end, all of those things are going to be shaken. Something is going to happen. There's going to be some event. And none of us really knows what that looks like, but the Bible alludes to it. But here's the thing. The Bible teaches us that the heavens and the earth as we know them are not going to be totally destroyed. But instead, God is going to recreate something. He's going to make a new heaven. And it's going to make a new earth. That is, there's going to be a new interaction with the universe as we know it. God is going to recreate earth in some sense. And it's almost like when you read Revelation chapter 21, it's supposed to remind you a little bit of Genesis chapter 1. When God created the heavens and the earth, God is now recreating something, right? We are physical people. We are created not only for a physical and spiritual reality. The Bible says that we now, when we go to the new heavens and earth, it's going to be a very physical place. A new earth, a new heavens. God is going to remake these things is what the Bible says teaches us about this. And so it's going to be a physical existence in which we are designed to live in. Um, Another thing that alludes to the fact that heaven is going to be more than just a a kind of a a non-material state is that the Bible tells us in this passage, if you look at it again, that we are going to dwell in a specific city in this eternal existence that God has set for us. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And by the way, this is just one of several passages that tells us that in the end, after God recreates a new heavens and a new earth, an imperishable heaven and an imperishable earth, that there's going to be a new city that God has designed, and that is going to come down on the earth, and we're going to dwell with God in that city. And I just need you to know that that city, as the Bible describes it, is not some, um, it's not some metaphoric, metaphysical city. The Bible, actually in Revelation, when you read it, it actually gives us dimensions of what this city is going to be like. It gives us measurements. It explains to us the construction items. So this is is a very real existence that God is talking about, that he has secured for us. This is the final destination that God has for us in the new heavens and the new earth. And not only is heaven, the Bible tells us, the eternal state that God has prepared for us, not only is that physical, but the Bible also explains that we, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we will also be there in bodily form. Um, the Bible says it this way in a couple different passages. Let me just show you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he's going to transform our lowly bodies, that's our current bodies, so that they will be like his glorious body. That's what the Bible says. First Corinthians chapter 15 is a passage that I would recommend that everyone reads. The whole chapter is talking about the resurrection of the dead. It talks about how Jesus Christ raised from the dead and those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they, we ourselves will also one day be resurrected. The Bible says it this way, that our bodies are sown imperishable and we're going to be raised imperishable. And we're going to have these glorified bodies one day, the Bible says, and we're going to exist in heaven. Some of you are like, that just sounds weird and awesome at the same time. And and you might be thinking, well, what is that glorified body going to be like? And I could just tell you that I know a little bit because the Bible tells us that we're going to have resurrected bodies that are going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. 
And what was Jesus' re- resurrected body like? Well, the Bible actually tells us some of this. Some of you might remember in Luke chapter 24, we are told that Jesus, he was crucified, he rose from the dead, and then you remember he came to his disciples? It's one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest passages in Luke 24. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, you know, hey guys, I'm, I'm, I'm back. And the Bible says that they thought that he was a ghost when they saw him, which, which basically means that they had no category for understanding a resurrection from the dead. They just had no category for that. So they were freaked out, just like you and I would be. They were freaked out when Jesus rose from the dead and came to them. But do you remember what happened? They, they thought that he was a ghost. And so you know what Jesus did? He saw that and he said, come here, guys, touch me. He said, go ahead, touch me. Feel my hands, feel my feet, feel my wounds. And the Bible says that the disciples came up and they touched him. And why did he do that? Because he's, he's like, dude, I'm real. I'm not just some ghost or spirit or something like that. I'm here in bodily form. And the Bible says that after they did that, that they still didn't believe. And so then, you guys remember what Jesus did next? He said, "Um, who's got some food? He goes, let's have some dinner. And so they grabbed some fish and they had a fish dinner. And why did they do that? Why did they do that in Luke chapter 24? Is it because Jesus was like, man, all this being dead for three days has really worked up an appetite. You know, I could go for some fish sticks. Is that why? I don't think that's why he did it. I think he did it because he's trying to show his disciples, look, I am fully physical, man. We can eat, we can talk, you can touch me. Now, now Jesus' resurrected body, there was some stuff that he did that none of us can do. And so, for example, the Bible says in his resurrected state that Jesus could veil himself from people so that they would be talking to him face to face and they wouldn't know that it was him. I, I can't do that. Um, the Bible says that at one point, the disciples were hiding out behind closed doors and Jesus just appeared among them which meant he must have somehow like walked through the wall like Gumby or something. I don't know how that worked. The Bible says that he ascended into heaven. So I'm not sure exactly what all that looks like, but what I'm saying is the Bible says that that's the kind of body we're going to have, that we're going to be resurrected like Christ. We're going to exist in heaven in a very physical way. And so this whole notion that heaven is some metaphysical, ethereal place where we're just spirit beings floating around is just not correct. It's a very, very physical reality. Now, why is that important? Well, the reason it's important is because this. It's because that desire that each and every single one of us has inside of us for, for the renewal uh, and, and, and for the recreation of and, and for the, um, the perfection of our economy, of politics, the renewal of our environment, all of those, those desires that we have inside of us, those are not bad desires. Those are God-given heavenly desires because that is the home that God has prepared for us. It is, it, and it means this. It means that the salvation plan of God is not just for humanity. It's far more extensive than that. The rescue plan of God includes the renewal of all things, even all creation. The book of Romans chapter 8 says it this way. It says that the creation itself groans with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And then it says this, for, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay. You see what that saying is, that this salvation, this rescue plan is not just the rescue of you and I, it is the rescue of all things. God is making a new creation. And that's what he has in store for us. And so one of the first misconceptions that we see in the Bible as it relates to heaven is that the misconception is that heaven is non-physical. It is very physical. And we ourselves will be very physical. We will dwell there in bodily form. And, uh, and we'll be able to not float in heaven, but walk in heaven. That's what God has designed us for. So that's the first misconception. Here, here's the second one. And this one is kind of worded funny, 
But I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Misconception number two is this, is that heaven is boring. Is that heaven's going to be boring. And, um, you know, I think that this is one of those... uh, this is one of those, those misconceptions that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you may secretly have had and maybe have never vocalized it that way. In fact, there's actually a website called postsecret.com. People can post anonymous secrets on that website. And this is one of the postcards that someone made on postsecret.com. I secretly fear that heaven will be boring is what they said. And I think that, that some of us can relate with that. In fact, I can even say there's been times in my life where I've thought that. I'm like, man, I think heaven might be kind of boring. And, and the reason that this, is, that this happens sometimes is because the depictions of heaven aren't helpful, are they? Right? So a lot of times the depiction of heaven is what? That we're going to be sitting on what? A cloud, right? And what are we going to be doing? We're going to be playing the what? Yeah, the harp. I don't even like the harp. I mean, if that's, if that's my eternal existence, I'm not interested, man. That just sounds boring. Or we read in the Bible that the Bible says that, you know, in heaven, we're going to worship God forever and ever. And we think to ourselves, does that mean a church is going to be like a nonstop worship service? Listen, I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. And that sounds terrible to me. I don't want that either, right? And so we can get this picture in our mind, man, heaven is going to kind of be this boring reality. And, and, you know, we're just going to kind of sit there and play the harp. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to worship God. Like, isn't that going to get old? Isn't that just going to get old? I mean, after doing this for eternity, like, doesn't it eventually just get old? Well, let me show you a really important verse that you need to know. If you just glance down real quick at verse 5, or uh, rather, I'm sorry, verse 6. He said, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. Or I'm sorry, verse 5. Yeah, he said, for he who is seen on the throne said, check this out, I am making everything, keyword, new. I'm making everything new. Um, One of the reasons that I know that heaven is not going to get old is because everything in heaven is new. You guys like new stuff? Anyone like new stuff? I love new stuff. I like new experiences. I like new food. I like going to new places. When we go on vacation, I like seeing new things, right? I love new phones. I love, I love new, I love new stuff. Love meeting new people. Love new. New is awesome, right? And check this out, you guys. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, everything's new. Isn't that awesome? Everything is new. And so I just imagine we're going to be up there hanging out, you know? We're going to be in heaven. You're going to come up. You're going to be like, hey, Tony, man, what's new? <laughs> I'm going to say everything, in fact. Everything is new. I'll be like, that's a really nice sweater. You'd be like, oh, you like that? It's new, right? <laughs> You doing something new with your hair? Yeah, I am. You're like, hey, can I borrow your old truck? And I'll say, no, you can't, because I don't have an old truck. I have a new truck, which, by the way, I will have a truck in heaven. In fact, I have a new truck, and you can have it, because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a new one, right? Everything in heaven is new. And by the way, when the Bible talks about new, here's what it's talking about. It's talking about um, the fact that nothing decays, no entropy, the brightness and the newness of things never wears out in heaven. Okay, everything is new here. It's awesome. That's what the Bible says. And so this whole notion that man things are going to get kind of old and get tired and get look, that is an earthly way of thinking. That is not what God has in store for us in heaven. Everything is new. And the Bible's pretty clear to us, by the way, when you read this passage, it's abundantly clear that heaven. And, and listen, you got to catch me on this. That heaven is what every human heart is truly longing for, whether you know it or not. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, just glance down with me at verse 6. He says, he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end. Now look at this next part. To the thirsty, I'm going to give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now what's that talking about, the spring of the water of life and the thirsty? Well, this is a euphemism. And what it's referring to 
is that the desires of the human heart, the thirst of the human heart is going to be fully quenched in heaven. And listen, I believe honestly that the thing that you and I desire, whether you even know it or not, the thing in your heart that you want more than anything that you're longing for is heaven. It's what God has designed us for. And a lot of times we as Christians don't believe that. And I think the reason sometimes that I think that is because of the way that we ask questions about heaven. Sometimes we ask questions about heaven that make me think that we somehow believe that something here on earth is going to satisfy us more than what God has in store for us in heaven. Think about it. Some, some of the most popular questions that we hear about heaven are things like this. People are like, um, so, so heaven sounds cool and everything, but it's like, is my hobby that thing I really like to do, is that going to be in heaven too? Because, because, I mean, you know, it sounds really good, worshiping God and all that kind of stuff. But, like, if I don't have my hobby, right? Like, if I, don't, if I can't knit, right? If I can't ride motorcycles in heaven, I'm not sure it's going to be all that great, right? I'm not sure it's going to be all that great. And so we ask that, is, is that hobby going to be in heaven? And look, here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know this. That if it's not in heaven, you're not going to want it. You're just not going to want it, right? I, some people ask the question, they're like, oh, is my pet going to be in heaven? Is Fido going to be there? I can't imagine. He- is Disney right? Do all dogs go to heaven? And I, I'll just tell you, I have studied this one a little bit. And uh, categorically, dogs do to go to heaven. Cats, however, do not. <laughs> and so that just clears that up. And by the way, if you have an issue with that, you can email Seth Tonkar, Pastor Seth. <laughs> He'd be glad to deal with any of that kind of stuff. No, no, here, here's the reality. If it's not there, you're not going to want it. This is why when I was, when I was uh, younger, before I was married, I prayed diligently that Jesus Christ would not come back until at least the day after I was married, right? Because somehow I believed that there was something on this earth that was going to satisfy my soul more than what God had in store for me in heaven. And, and look, the reality is the Bible tells us that when we get here, this is what every human heart is longing for. And like I said, you might not even know that, but the thing you are really desiring in your heart is the home that God's created for you in heaven. Think about it this way. So back when I was in college, some of you might know, um, might, you might not know, that the way I got to this, I went to school in Chicago, and the way I got there was just one of the craziest circumstances. And, and at some point, I'll have to tell you the story. We don't have time to get into it now. But essentially, um, the, one day, I did not think I was going to Chicago to start school. I was here in Akron, and I did not think I was going to school. The next day, I was on an airplane, and I started classes. It was that sudden. And, and so it was awesome. God, I mean, it was seriously a God thing. God just, just totally brought me there. But I remember on my way, I was so scared. I didn't know anyone there. This was, I was 18 years old. It was the first time that I'd ever really been away from home. And now I was going to the city. I didn't know anyone. I was unfamiliar with it, and I was on my own. And I just remember that it ended up being... Um, four of the most amazing years of my life. It's definitely some of the funnest years of my life when I was in school. But the first two weeks, just being honest with you, were really hard. And they were hard because I didn't know anyone and, and I was trying to get adjusted to things and I was a big city and I was scared and I didn't really, you know, I was on my own for the first time and so there was a lot to get adjusted to. And I remember that in that time, because the circumstances that I went to Chicago were so sudden, that my mom and dad would send me boxes every other day of just, you know, necessities. So I would get toiletries and I would get all kinds of stuff. And I remember, I think it was a couple weeks into being in Chicago, I got this box from my parents and I opened it up and inside of the box, there was some sheets and some blankets. And for whatever reason, the first thing I did, and I don't know if this is just a normal thing or if this is a weird thing, but I grabbed the, the blanket and I immediately put it to my face. It's the first thing I did. It's kind of felt it on my face. 
And, and when I did that, I caught a whiff of the aroma of that blanket. And I, I distinctively remember that when I smelled that, I got hit with a wave of nostalgia and hit with a wave of longing that in a moment I could not identify. It almost hit me too quickly. And after a couple of seconds of processing, I realized what it was. That blanket smelled like home. It smelled like home. And I, I was homesick. I smelled it and I thought, oh, my heart yearns for that. My heart yearns for that, right? Listen, you guys know what the Bible says about our hearts? The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. Heaven's in your heart. God put home in your heart, all right? C.S. Lewis says everything really well. He said it this way. I thought this was great. He said, heaven is that remote music that we're born remembering. It's that remote music that we're born Remembering there's something in our hearts that stirs in us. We become homesick for it. So did you guys ever, when you read this passage or other passages about it, did you ever realize the way that the Bible depicts heaven, the language it uses? Once again, in this passage, the Bible says that in heaven, everything's new. Everything's new. Did you ever wonder why it is that we as human beings have an insatiable desire for newness? We just do. We're always chasing the new thing, the new gadget, the new vacation, the new clothes, the new trend, the new thing, whatever. We love new life. Do you ever wonder why it is that we mourn when things degrade? We mourn that years pass by. We mourn that the moment we pull the car out of the lot after we buy it, that it's depreciated immediately, right? Why is that? Why is it that when we chase after the new thing and then we finally get it, that it never satisfies us? Why is that? You know why? Because God's put eternity in your hearts. And, and the reason that nothing on this earth can satisfy that desire of newness is because nothing on this earth can satisfy that desire of newness. It's eternity. You're homesick. You're homesick for a heaven, for heaven that God has created where everything's new. Like the Bible says this about heaven. It says in heaven, all things are created new. There's a new heaven, new earth, perfect beauty. Do you ever wonder why it is that when you see something of inexpressible beauty, sunset, a baby, you see something of a song, when you hear something, that there's something in your heart that longs for something. And you're like, I, don't, I can't even put my finger on that. What is that? Homesick. Homesick. Because God's created for you that kind of beauty. He's, cre- you, he's created you for that perfection. That's why he's done it. You know what the Bible says that heaven is like in this passage? It says it's like a bride who's prepared on her wedding day for her husband tell you one of the cool things I've had a chance to do over the past 10 years as a pastor is I've had a chance to do a lot of weddings. And I've noticed a trend. It's, it's unanimous. In all the weddings I've done, almost 50 weddings, I've noticed this is the same case, is that during rehearsal, the guys, the groomsmen, are just goofing off the whole time, right? It's just like, it's like junior high school all over again. And then the girls, the bridesmaids, they're just giddy and giggling and they're, you know, talking about their hair and stuff and whatever, right? And, and, and the whole rehearsal goes fine and everything's great and, and everyone's ready to go. Something happens on that wedding day, though. And I'll tell you, man, it, 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 it happens every time. You know, beforehand, the bride spends all day getting ready for the groom. They usually don't see each other. Sometimes they do now, the first glance thing. They do that whole thing. But then I talk to the guy. He's nervous. I talk to her. She's nervous. I t- come out with the groomsmen. We stand. I stand here. The groom, you know, the, 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 the groom stands here, and the groomsmen are here. And, and then everyone, all the guests are seated. It's really exciting. 
And then the music starts, the bridesmaids walk down the aisle, right? And they got their flowers and everyone's taking pictures and everyone's smiling and happy. And then the ring bearer comes down the aisle and something always funny happens with the ring bearer. He either, you know, runs the wrong way or he doesn't have any pants on or something awesome like that. And everyone laughs, oh, it's cute, you know, and it's great. And then, and then the flower girl comes down and they throw the petals all over the place. And then that moment happens. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? The music changes. The door's open. And she comes out. And she, she is prepared for her husband. And everyone stands up, right? And everyone's watching him. And he's crying, you know? And she's coming down the aisle. And what is it about that moment that there's something in our hearts that says there's something, something going on right now? Something, something different's happening here. It's because God has put eternity in your heart. You know what the Bible says about marriage? The Bible says that marriage is a depiction of Christ in the church. That's why it stirs something in us when we see that. You're homesick. That desire, that, that desire for romance that you have, that nothing on this earth seems to satisfy, at least in reality, in fiction maybe, but in reality, no. It's because it's intended to be satisfied in Christ alone. And you read a passage like this, you guys, and you see, you see what it tells us? It says that in heaven... Listen to this, no pain, no pain. Some of you guys right now, you live in constant pain. Some of you physical pain, right? Maybe you've, you had a disability, something happened to you, maybe a disease, a diagnosis. And now pain is a regular part of your existence. Every day, every day, every day. Look, heaven, none of that, man. No pain, no relational pain. The, the abuse that you suffered, that you carry with you, the rejection, the abandonment, that stuff that you walk with every day, the, the, the tension that exists in your current relationships, the, 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 the frustration in your own marriage, no pain, no pain here. It's gone, man. The Bible says in heaven, no, no crying, no crying, no weeping. And that means that every tear that you've ever shed because of the loss of a loved one, someone that you cared about that's no longer here with you, man, none of that anymore, gone. Death is put to death in heaven. It's gone, man. And things don't wear down and things don't die and things aren't destroyed. And when we read that, isn't it true that there's something in our hearts that says, yeah, that's the way it should be. Why is it that whenever we go to a funeral service, that even though people tell us that death is a natural part of life, and this is just, you know, part of the circle of life, and we should embrace death, that yet when we're standing at a funeral, there's something that rises up inside of us and says, this is not the way that this should be. You know why that is? Because this is not the way that this should be. God said, no, 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 I've designed you for eternity. I've put that in your heart. And the thing you're really desiring before anything, is heaven. It's what, it, it's what satisfies the human heart, and you might not even know it. Many of us, we're chasing things in this life to find fulfillment. We're chasing after things. And what you have to realize is what we're doing is we're chasing shadows. The substance is with God, all right? And he's the only one who can satisfy the longings of the human heart. And the Bible says when we get to heaven, that all of those longings are gonna be fully satisfied. And if there's stuff that you want in heaven and it's not gonna be there, it's because you're not gonna want it, man. It's going to be awesome there. This is what God's created you for. He saved us into heaven. So the first two misconceptions, misconception one, heaven is non-physical. Misconception two, heaven is boring. Okay, it's not. And then here's the last misconception. Like I said, we could talk about more, but for time's sake, here's the last one. Misconception number three is that focusing on heaven, I'm sorry, that good people go to heaven. That good people go to heaven. Major misconception here. 
Uh, 99.9% of people, if you ask them, how, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? They'll say, because I'm a good person. Incorrect. In fact, very incorrect. It, it, the, the thought that the natural disposition of the human heart, the natural destination of the human, the human existence is heaven is wrong. Okay, this is not our default setting, is that we will be with God in heaven. That's not the way it works. This is why God had to make a rescue plan, right? This is why there is a rescue plan, because we need to be rescued from something. And the Bible is very clear that the only way that this rescue plan is enabled, the only way that we have this existence with God, is through his rescue plan, the person of Jesus Christ. And there is verse after verse on this. Let me just mention a few. In uh, John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again, is what he says. And then he says this. He says in John three sixteen, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the only means by which God accomplishes this for us. The Bible says in John fourteen six, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Not only is Jesus the way to heaven, he's the only way. He's the only way. He's a rescue plan. So, so listen, if, if I asked you, how are you getting to heaven, and you have any other answer besides Jesus, you need to change your answer. He's the only way there. I remember, um, it's probably 10 years ago now, I was at a conference, and I heard Alistair Begg teaching, and, and you guys might know Alistair Begg. He's uh, up at Parkside Church, not too far from here. Awesome church, awesome pastor, great Bible teacher. And I remember he was talking about this idea that it's only through Jesus that we get into heaven. And he said something I thought was really fascinating. And he was talking about that thief on the cross. Some of you might remember Jesus was crucified and he was crucified between two thieves. Jesus himself was innocent. These thieves were not, they were guilty. The Bible says that the one thief started to criticize Jesus. He said, you know, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you save yourself and all that kind of stuff. But the other thief said, you know, don't make fun of this guy because we, he said, we, we belong here. We deserve this execution. He said, but this guy didn't do anything. And then he said to Jesus, he said, would you remember me? Would you remember me? And remember what Jesus said to him? He said, today, I'm going to see you in paradise. Today, we're going to be together. And Alistair Begg said something I thought was cool. He said, I can just imagine that a thief finally dies and then suddenly awakens. And there he is, and he's in heaven with all, you know, God and his people. And he said, I imagine that everyone around him probably looked at him and said, how in the world did you get here? And he said, I can imagine that that thief probably said, I don't know. But all I know is this, is that the man on the cross said I could. And, and listen, the truth is, none of us has any answer but that one. If I asked you, how are you going to get into heaven? And you start your answer with I, it's the wrong answer. It has to be man only because the man on the cross said I could. It's because what Jesus has done for me. And listen, for some of you, who are in this room, you have made that decision to embrace Christ as your rescue plan, as a deliverer of your heart. And for some of you, listen, you have not done that. You have not done that. And you think somewhere in you that it's your good works and it's your moral behavior and it's whatever it's going to get you there. Wrong answer. It is the wrong answer. God wants to save you into what he's ultimately created you, which is heaven. But you have to take a hold of his rescue plan for you to embrace the person of Jesus Christ. So in a minute, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And, and I don't have anything magic about my prayer, but listen, if you're a person who has never embraced Christ in this way, your decision today is going to affect your destination then, all right? And to follow Christ is, is, listen, it's worth it all. And God wants to save us into this glorious inheritance. So for you, maybe for you, 
Today is your day. Today is your day. When you put a stake in the ground and say, you know, I'm going to stop messing around about this stuff, man. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him and I want to worship him because I believe that he is the one who's created these things for me. So the band's going to come up and as they do, I'm going to pray. If you want to pray, you can follow me. I'm not my prayers anything special or fantastic or magical, but just from your heart to God's heart, express this with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we honestly believe that what you have in store for us is greater than anything that we have in store for ourselves. Uh, God, you've created us, and because you've created us, you know what's best for us. And Lord, we, we, realize, that, um, we realize that the destination, the final destination of your rescue plan is perfect harmony and peace with you. We realize that the final destination of your rescue plan is to be fully human, the way that you've intended and created us to be. And God, our heart longs for it. And so Father, now I I ask you, Lord, that we would embrace your gift of Jesus, the rescue plan. We thank you for him. Because apart from him, there's no way. There's no way that we could experience everything that you have for us. There's no way that we could experience the eternal life that you've created us for. Apart from you, God, we we have nothing. And so Jesus, today I just want to embrace you embrace you as my rescue plan, embrace you as my savior, embrace you as the one who makes all things new, as the all-powerful God of the universe. And Jesus, I know that uh, in this life, that that, uh, this is the only time we have to to choose, to make a decision about where the allegiance of our heart is going to be placed. And and Christ, I want to place my allegiance in you. I want you to define and direct me. I want to follow you. Lord, I do pray as well that you would help us as we go from this place, put heaven on our hearts, put heaven on our mind. Lord, so that we would be reminded of the hope that's in store for us. Lord, the Bible tells us that, um, that the temporary sufferings of this world are not worth comparing with the glory that's gonna be revealed in us. And so right now, many of us are traveling through hardships and suffering in this life and difficult things. Put our hope in you. Let us, let us not get weary in doing well because we have a hope of an eternal existence that you've given to us. So Father, thanks. It's awesome. We love you and you love us and we can't wait to see you face to face. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.